Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today, I talk with Michelle Adams, executive sales rep. We talk about how to maintain an entrepreneurial spirit throughout the rigorous field of sales. Michelle shares about her experience uh, as a college grad in the early days of selling uh, copiers door to door. And uh, she was recognized for her ability to build strong relationships, and that really kicked off her successful career in sales. We talk about the power of a positive mindset in the wake or in the face of a lot of rejection and a lot of no's in those early days of sales. Lots of great insight. You don't want to miss this episode. Welcome to Relatable. I'm here with Michelle Adams today. Super excited to have a conversation with you. I've been wanting to talk with you for a long time and finally got her in the studio. And Michelle is an executive sales rep. I'm yes. always a little unsure of my titles. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to talk to you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course, of course. So we've been friends for a long time and uh, I feel like we always get into these great conversations about all things, right? Because uh, you have kids, I have kids. We talk about uh, all different aspects of life, and we've talked a bit about your career. And we've had a couple of people on uh, on Relatable that have a sales background, uh, but no women. So I've talked to you about that. About you're interesting just to hear your perspective on your own career path, uh, what it's like to be in sales, and then particularly like it's an area that I'm super uncomfortable. And now that I've been building my own business and I'm an entrepreneur. It's, it's becoming like, you know, I, I have to be out there and I have to be doing business development. And when it's something that you love and something you're passionate about, it's easier. I still think yes. there's an art to it that that hopefully you're going to give us some inside so. scoop <laughs> and can, um, you know, give us some secrets, but also just tell us a little bit about your path and journey. Absolutely. Sound good? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a bit about just a day in the life right now. Like what, what is your life like today? What give us, I know probably not one day is like every other, but give us a sense of what, what a day is like for you. Okay. So basically I support a six and a half million dollar medical device territory and it's um, about 43 hospitals across the Northern Virginia area. And it's a very large medical device company. So we have a big footprint within the hospitals. So um, start out in my home office every day, making yeah. sure the kids get out the door. And then I'm answering phone calls, emails. And then typically when traffic dies down a little bit, I head out to the hospitals for the day. And that could range, my day could range from anything from meetings with administrators, doctors, nurses, anywhere from um, the ICUs, anesthesia, emergency department, vascular access teams. And um, we're doing things like, you know, talking about what type of issues they have in patient care, what type of solutions that I have to help make the doctor's jobs easier, mm -hmm. increase their procedural efficiencies, and improve patient outcomes. I could also be working on back orders, contracts, giving presentations to large groups of decision makers. And so um, that's my typical day. I also partner with um, clinical educators from my company and we come in too and we also teach procedural courses, do bedside insertions with the doctors and nurses and you know, in servicing on the units with the nursing as well. 
That's a lot. It is a lot. And how how long have you been affiliated in healthcare and medical sales? Like we'll talk more about your path to this point. Yes. You know, it's such a um, explosive area in terms of growth and you know, it's it's like even outside of sales from a from a consulting perspective or even just working in in that kind of healthcare or medical industry, I feel like it's booming and Great job security. It really is. It, I, I read something from um, U.S. News and World Report, and it, all these medical type of consultancy yeah. and careers were right up there. Booming. So yes, I've been for in for eighteen years in medical devices, and my job has definitely grown and um, changed and become even more involved. Do you have a team of people that you work with or that help you? When you talked about all those different aspects of your role how much of that is you self-driving that or you actually have a support team or people around you that are also helping to inform some of the work that you're doing so it's a little bit of both um part of our culture at my company is to have an entrepreneurial spirit so we actually are supposed to all manage our own territory like it's our own business so i do manage that six million dollars worth of business mm -hmm. and i'm responsible for maintaining that every year and growing it and so on top of that though, however, my team is spread out. I'm the, it's myself and my one nurse educator who mm -hmm. live in Northern Virginia. Okay. And then the rest of my team, which consists of additional educators, my manager, and then sales reps similar to me are all throughout Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, and New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And then we of course have corporate people who partner, of course, at my company who help me with things like contracts and building of um, custom device kits for the customers and they're all out of North Carolina so and um, are they tell me just a little bit about how you had to get comfortable with the medical speak and in terms yes. of and t tell me too I think it'd be interesting for people to know these devices that you sell how expensive like these devices are massive devices right in terms of their cost or or is it, a, is it a spectrum of what you offer? So mine is, um, I'm not doing some of those big expensive devices yeah. that are OR based only. Mine are disposables that are typically used when a patient is critically ill or comes in to the emergency department with an acute type of an illness. So they need to have my devices while they're in the hospital um, to help give them medications and help make them well. We do, I do have other things that are capital equipment that are more expensive, that are a different part of, um, I guess you'd say my sales bag that I support <laughs> yeah. as well. So yeah. I have capital, but then I have disposables, which are, you know, used day to day okay. in the hospital. But the important thing about my devices is that they help to um, reduce or eliminate hospital-acquired infections. Mm -hmm. So that's really what we're partnering with with the hospitals is looking at patient outcomes, looking at how they um, how they care and maintain for these devices, mm -hmm. what how they use them in their procedures, and how we can come in and help make it easier for them and make it better. So that's a lot of, of what so I do. So then you've got this like added bonus of the fulfillment factor that you're actually impacting human life. Like that's pretty extraordinary. <laughs> it is. It is. I actually, I do feel like what we do matters a yeah. lot in my division, not in, not in all the other divisions. Right. Some of it can be pretty quick, but I do feel that I'm actually there providing value to my customer and, and helping the hospitals, helping the patients. And so, um, we're just 
you know, one of those yeah. little little extra things in there <laughs> that, that helps to make something better when a patient comes in and out of the hospital. Tell me, so then is it more for your what you're talking about, is it volume, like in terms of because they're, they're just the volume of, in terms of making that number, and then tell me also, which we'll maybe talk more about this too, just the competitive aspect of sales and how, when you say you're an entrepreneur and you're responsible for your own uh, territory, are you competing against what you did last year or is it you actually have some competition? I always hear, right, that sales is so cutthroat and it's it's so competitive and, you know, it's all sort of driven by did you make the number or not. Yeah, so just tell me, like, living in a job, like that would be, I mean, that's why I think I've avoided sales for most of my career is just that I didn't want that extra burden of this is the measure you have to hit and if you don't, Every year. year. <laughs> every yes. year. It's like every a start, clean slate starting over every it year. It is. It is. Um, every year at the beginning of the year, I think, oh, no, this is going to be the year. <laughs> this is going to be the year that yeah. I don't do well. Um, so January, I'm very stressed. <laughs> but um, it's a little bit of everything. So I am competing against my number mm-hmm. the year before, and then it's always raised. So I have to maintain what I did the year before and then increase. So that is volume-based as well. Um, so I'm competing against myself, but I'm also competing against, there are competitors out yeah, there. Right. Um, I have um, multiple groupings of products that all tie into each other, and my company is the leader in probably two of those segments. Mm-hmm. So the great thing there is I'm more um, upgrading what they currently have, providing them with maybe a custom solution or better components within their kits that they use, and so that's what I'm doing there. But I also spend a lot of time with my customers, checking in with them, making sure that they're happy, solving any issues that they have, um, covering back orders, providing them with education, and always reminding them why they use me com- as compared to my competitors, because there's always someone that's ready to come in there and undercut me. And so yeah. I have to be very knowledgeable about their tactics. And um, their products, yeah. yeah, and kind of how do you can you like how do you know that? Is it just because you're in the same industry, so you see them, or or is there are are there people within your organization that are responsible to get that intel? Yes, yeah, so like our marketing and training yeah. teams get a lot of the intel. Um, the sales reps, we are cut the customer facing of yeah. the group, so we often gather a lot of the intel as well, just from talking with our customers and always asking, like, um, now that I've been there 18 years, there's some hospitals that I have really, really good relationships. So they'll call and tell me, Hey, you know, somebody else is getting brought onto our value analysis meeting to, to take your business away. And then I go on high alert and call everybody I know. And, um, start a whole mess <laughs> so it's okay i'm gonna ask so, one more question about that then i want to i really yes. want to talk about you you have some great stories about how you started out and how you got to this point of being very successful and being you 18 did you say 18 years how long have you been there 18 years in yes. medical and then i sold copiers for eight years yes we're gonna, yes. we're gonna talk about that yeah but it's interesting we were in a meeting the other day and we were talking to somebody that was the head of growth for a analytics organization and he was talking about the sales function and how it's the re- it's a relationship business, right? It's all it's all about the relationships. And what was interesting and funny is that in the room was the head of product, 
And he he jokingly said, um, this is probably going to piss him off, but it really doesn't matter what the product is. And he was being like tongue in cheek. Obviously it does. Yet the sales engine and the sales function, he was drawing kind of a bright line between what that requires and that relationship aspect is its own entity. And I think I've always integrated those things almost too much to the to the extent that I didn't understand that it's a unique art that's separate from that. And so once you're done with your part, then the product people, and, and that's a whole nother thing of being able to maintain what you sold, right? So yes, tell me a little bit just about that. And the fact that you were just talking about relationships in terms of them calling you, like how how long does it take to cultivate that? And 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 I don't know if that's an easy kind of methodology to explain, but right. but I'm curious about that and what your reaction is to that. Yes, so um, I really think to be successful in the long term in sales, you have to be um, you have to be a consultative relationship builder, mm -hmm. basically, and you have to bring value to your customer and help them to either solve a problem, help them to become better because you're you're working with them. It's really easy to come in and meet with your customer and kind of data dump everything that you've learned about your product and think you know what it is that they need, but that really does not provide you with any type of true relationship building or collaboration with your customer because they just see you as somebody peddling a product or they can feel that, right? Like yes. they know that it's not, not, not authentic, but if it's just to get the sale or just to, you know, get the win. Yeah. So, um, you know, Truly to do well and to make your number year after year and to be successful, you really do have to be a good relationship builder. And it takes a lot of practice. A lot of people think if you can just talk to somebody that you're a good salesperson. And it's so not true. Um, <laughs> you have to, you know, you have to work hard on those skills. There's plenty of classes and courses that I've gone to um, to learn how to um, ask the right questions and draw information out of people. But really what it comes down to, I truly think is, you know, being an expert in your field, mm -hmm. being an expert in your product and knowing how, in my case, the specific hospital works and what their needs and wants are. But when you're meeting with somebody to really actively listen, which has been one of my hardest challenges over the years because yeah. I'm already thinking in advance what I want to yeah. say and that I miss things. So to be able to like slow down, actively listen and um, hear maybe what their unmet needs are and, and get ideas for um, what they truly need, whether it's devices, education, right. all, all different things can, you know, you can bring as a solution and provide value. And once you really listen and can bring a solution to them, then you're truly seen as a partner and they will come to you first. So um, my largest hospitals that I've worked yeah. with for so long, they call me for every division in, in my company. Who do I talk to here? I need this. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? And it's because I've been working with them and helping them for so long. And you have to... Um, you know, you have to be on top of things and be in front of things too. So if something's going to go bad or your their product's going to go on back order, you need to make them aware in advance so there's no surprises 
Yeah. And it's so interesting because I think what you're describing also, it's this continuum. So you're, you're always thinking about that customer and the value that you can add not just at the beginning of the year when you need to set your yes. number, right? So it's this, and you were alluding to this before, which again, I think is something that's a skill that's learned. And this applies actually in any job that you're in. Mm-hmm. I think it, it translates where, what's your value? How do you how do you add that value? And are you consciously working that, not in a, in a manipulative way, but in a way that is serving your customer, if that's what you're trying to do yes. is create something of value for them? And so it's it's just not always the obvious, right? It's that deferred or delayed gratification that you're always putting effort into. And it's probably yes. above and beyond what is like in the job description or what someone would characterize as like, this is your role as a sales rep for this organization. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's talk about how it started. And maybe your, I think we've talked about this before, but I, I do think it's interesting. What was your degree in? And did you think that this was going to be your career? No, I did not. So coming out of high school, I just knew I wanted to be in business. And um, I thought, okay, you know, I... I like talking and networking with people, and I'm very busy, and I like to be busy. So um, I went into marketing management and um, loved being at Virginia Tech, loved my classes, but I really realized at that point that I didn't have that creative type Mm -hmm. of brain to be in a traditional marketing role, such as a product manager or advertising, and thought, you know, I need to do something else with Mm -hmm. my skills. I'm not sure quite what. And um, thought about real estate, but that was when the market wasn't doing very well. And my dad encouraged me to interview for sales. So I started interviewing with different companies and sales roles. And then we had a family friend who was successful manager in copier sales. And he said, hey, I got you an interview. So I interviewed with his company and because he liked it there, you know, I was young and I said, okay, (laughs) I'll give it a shot. So that's how I ended up in copier sales, which is not what I had originally envisioned. Um, It's it's a tough, tough job. And um, I started out literally like a week out of school and some of my friends were off traveling or studying for the CPA exam. And I was literally going business to business in Washington, DC getting rejected every day, cold calling. And so um, I worked hard every day, and then I came home and cried. I cried at dinner literally almost every single night. And I thought, you know, what am I doing? Did Is this, do I have what it takes? Do I have the grit to be successful in sales? And that type of sales was was just really tough. So I started interviewing, and I interviewed in staffing. And got flown to Boston, went up and met a VP, got offered a job to become, it still was sales, but more like staffing type of sales. And so got home and was thinking about it, and it just kept weighing on my mind, you know, am I going to always remember that I failed at my first job? And so, I don't know, I just think about it, and I'm like, wow, you know. That you actually stuck with it, or that you had the resilience to... Because that's really, so I think it's so important what you're sharing because I don't think pe- people see the end result and yes. they see people that are successful and they don't necessarily understand the grit and that rejection and what that feels like. And to be, 
to be someone who can be in that discomfort until it Till it's not as uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> so the fact that you you did that and like you kind of dug deep, like it, and that was just your own. It wasn't like someone else necessarily was there coaching you. Was it just your own reflection of like I don't necessarily want to give up yet? It was my own. Yeah, I think I I think part of it was, um, you know, just making a decision to change my mindset and having pride in myself and mm-hmm. thinking, all right, I'm going to do this till I'm good at it, and then I can leave. Like I gave myself, like, okay, you you have permission to leave once you're good at it. So, and I wasn't making hardly any money at that point too. And so I was like, all right, just going to dig in. And I had some great mentors where I work. So I think just that change of mindset. And as you get older, now I really see how important your a positive versus a negative mindset is when you're younger and you're just in your head, you know? And you're so, so, you don't have any experience. You don't have anything to benchmark that against. You don't understand that, like, for every, is it like every 20 no's, there's maybe a yet. Like, I don't, you could tell us the stats on that. Um, But I think, yeah, that's, it's, it's terrifying. That's why not a lot of people pursue it, right? (laughs) It was. Yeah. And um, so I really, really did, you know, build a tough skin, resilience which was great. And I was pretty young, obviously, right out of college. So my managers, I worked at a smaller company. They started to see that I was better at relationships than kind of that quick sale. Right. So they pretty quickly moved me into named accounts and then into a major accounts role. So I could actually work with, I worked with um, universities, law firms, large businesses downtown. And so that was, that was where I really had success because I did have, you know, learn how to negotiate a business deal. I had to develop long-term relationships to wait until they were ready to purchase their larger, larger Mm -hmm. deals. Um, because that's not just a, a quick sale. Yeah. And, um, you know, just really developed a lot of my my business acumen in that role, which helped me so much now. Do you remember like your first big sale like your first where you were like this maybe where that you were like okay I feel like I'm good at this now like do you and what was it there were and what'd you do with the money (laughs) Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills your one-stop shop for workshops coaching speaking and soft skills development if you'd like to hire Teresa visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information went shopping. Yes. So there, I mean, there's a lot of small, small deals, but about two years in, I um, got a job at a larger organization um, at, in the actual major account team. And I was calling on um, this place and I got my first $250,000 PO. And I was beyond thrilled. Right. We had very small, very, very small salaries at that point. Right. I know it's way improved since then. Like you're saying it's all commission-based. Like even, It was almost yeah. all commission-based yeah. back then. So I did. The next month, I got a really nice commission check. And um, I paid off my school loans uh-huh. with that check. And um, they weren't extraordinary school loans, right. but I paid off my school loans. They were like, I want to say like twelve dollars or $14,000. Which is a lot. And, and you don't have any money. <laughs> yes. Got myself yeah. a new suit. 
And then at that point, um, I'd always wanted an Acura Legend. And <laughs> friends of ours had a used one. And I put a down payment and bought myself a, a used car. And I was thrilled. Like, I yeah. felt like I finally come to a point where, okay, you know, I can be successful in this. And I'm free of debt. And I How long I can did that it. take? Like, if you think back, how long did it take to get... Because I think that's an important thing to, to note, like... What was that grind like before you had that feeling of, um, this is, I can do this? It probably was about two years. Yeah. Um, luckily, by then, I had a great group of coworkers. So if I had a stressful day coming up, like, some of them would say, I'll go with you. <laughs> yeah. With yeah. me. And um, back me up and help me out. And just had a, a great manager and a, a mentor on that team at that second job as well. And um, really helped to teach me how to be, you know, more of a consultative type of a sales person. So I learned so, so much back then. When you were younger, let's say like in high school or even in college, and you think about, um, are you someone who academics or even other, you know, socially, just broadly academically, are you someone that things were easy for you? Do, Do you feel like that all was like you hadn't necessarily run into a lot of difficulty or friction? Was that the first time? Or tell me a little bit about that, kind of who you were and that how that developed. Or, you know, were you always someone that was, like, very hardworking and if you put in the hard work, you got the result. And so that was also jarring when that didn't happen quite the way you expected. I had such a nice upbringing, <laughs> you know, nice little community area, similar to where our yeah. kids are. And um, I was shy when I was young, so my mom always pushed me out of my shell. So then in high school, you know, I was very outgoing, involved in everything. I did study a lot, but my grades reflected that. So I did well with my grades. I got into the college I wanted to mm-hmm. and was in um, involved in almost everything I could be. So when I went to college, I um, also became very involved at Virginia Tech. I was in a sorority. I was a senator of the business school. VP of the marketing club. Um, I had a great, great time. So those things came easily. Um, my grades were not as good in college because I was focused, I think, a little more on that. But, um, yeah. you know, I don't think I felt overly stressed about it. Um, it was really when it came down to starting to interview and start off my professional life that I really was like, wow, this is really scary. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've got to really dig deep and figure this out. So, yeah. You know, I think that's interesting for people that, um, you hear about it too when people excel in high school and it's very easy and they don't have to work very hard and then they get to college and it's like they haven't really cultivated study skills or they haven't been through something that they couldn't just figure out and they have this drop off. And I think it's, I'm sure very much the case, the same when you graduate and you start that new job, especially if it doesn't feel like it's clicking or you feel like you're failing and you haven't experienced that. Yes, for sure. Um, Tell me about then how the kind of the dig deep part and the resilience part and how, where that came from, right? Like, and the other thing that's kind of striking me too, as we're talking is, are you someone, at least at that time, that was always very, like you have to do it on your own and, and how have you, are you still like that? Like, is that been a lesson for you in life in terms of like, there's, there, there 
are resources and there's people to help if you ask. Yes. So yes, when I first started out when I was younger, absolutely. I thought that before I interviewed, I thought, oh, I've got this, <laughs> you know, I can handle this. And um, that, like I said, that's when the uncertainty came, even just starting to interview for sales positions and um, getting out there into the working world. So I, I definitely am tough on myself. I always have been, but even more so back then. Um, so yeah, that's, I was that person that definitely yeah. thought I needed to go and go and do that. And, um, started to learn pretty quickly that having extra resources yeah. or people to back you up and teach you and show you the way mentors right. really, really are so important and pretty critical in your career development, especially at a younger age. Yeah. Um, now I've been at the same company for 18 years and there's been bumps along the way and I've learned and grown. So I feel pretty confident in what I do. However, you know, I do have a team that surrounds me that I reach out to for help on a regular basis, such as my clinical team that, um, you know, I really rely on for their expertise and help my manager who's really amazing. So I have no problem calling in help. <laughs> well, it's so good because I, I think that was also something for me, even um, I was always the people, you know, I was always the friend people came and told their problems to. I was always the one that seemed to have their stuff together. And then if you're that person and it's not, you, you're not together, it's very hard to understand how asking for help is actually an evolved way of being. Yes. Because you think it's all you, but it's, it's not. And it's a very limited view and how um, being open to that help and also you know, even now, you, you know, not feeling like, you know, everything like you, you having that openness of I'm curious. I know there's more I can learn. I know, even though I've spent time mastering this, there's still opportunities to be educated. There are absolutely. Yeah. And be yes. open to that. Tell me about just being a woman and being in sales and how you've seen that change, because I'm curious, I, I, I'm assuming that when you started, you are probably one of few. So, you know, and maybe it, maybe it matters in industry. I'm just curious for you uh, how, whether that's been a factor or not been a factor, how you've had to manage that. I think we've talked some about your, your passionate about developing and helping other women progress and ensure yes. in their career. So just tell me for you, you know, any, any good stories there of like, <laughs> that you had to, you know, overcome or, that you were like, what is going on? And it's and it mostly just because you're a woman. My company was acquired by a larger mm -hmm. um, company and um, we have really, really expanded and grown and um, women in leadership has become a very big thing. It wasn't until probably three or four years ago that we even had a female manager win manager of the year because there wow. had been so few female managers in the past. Now I would have to say that... Um, it really, the culture has become bringing the person who is the best for the job. And we probably were at least 50-50 or even more heavily female oriented on the sales force, on the marketing teams, on the management teams as well. And there are specific programs that have been put together for us to help us navigate the workforce. Like right. I said, women in leadership. Um, I help and work on peak performance which mm -hmm. is basically like yeah. helping people learn how to master their mindset, you know, be more 
positive and, you know, change their self-talk and believe in themselves to overcome obstacles. So that's something that I'm involved in and help with at work, which is fun. So, all right. I want to talk about yeah. that because I think you could give us some great insight there. One last thing on just the, the fact that it was male dominated or in an industry that, that maybe celebrates or where men are maybe naturally more successful. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I don't want a bunch of women in sales to come after me. I don't know. I don't know the state, the, the stats on that, but for you to, to kind of get through that, what was your mindset? And because I think many people could, could go to that. It's not fair. I'm not being treated the same, you know, and go and kind of go spiral into a negative kind of reactive. I'm a victim. So how did you not do that? And how did you stay the course to get to the point now where you feel like we've you know, there's been some involvement in it. Well, luckily for me, I love being in sales and I did not want to climb the corporate ladder. So due to the fact that I wanted to continue to manage yeah. my own territory right. and stay in the sales side of things, um, I don't feel like it affected me as much as it probably did affect yeah. other people. Um, but I've always had you know, other women on my sales teams with me. So we mm -hmm. always rely on each other. So um, it's it's amazing to talk about it now with the type of culture that my company is now yeah. and how amazing things are. Yeah. To think that it wasn't that long ago that it, it, it was really different, different. Yeah. yes. And I think a lot of that has to do um, with leadership and the type of culture that they want to put forward. And luckily... Um, you know, I would say maybe the past, you know, nine or 10 years, our leadership at my company has been, you know, very focused on developing people, developing the best people, right. making sure that you're happy and that you want to stay. And so, um, I'm sending Luke to you when he graduates. You should, you should. <laughs> I, I, I think he would him. be great. Yes. <laughs> I'll send all of them, actually. It's a great career. It <laughs> yeah. really is. People don't really understand, I don't think, what I do, but... Yeah, and I think the, um, the, the piece that you talked about in terms of where there's accounts that have already grown and there's a relationship and then... I, the way even you talked about that, where they, there's options within, within that career to flex whatever skills, right? At each There's different... Parts of a sales process, I yes. think is a long-winded way of what I'm trying to say. And that depending on where your strengths are and how you might fit into that, there's lots of options. It's not just one way that you can participate in that kind of career. No, that's that's absolutely yeah. correct. Yes. Um, tell me about peak performance. And I think that's going to translate to into some of the questions I have just around uh, critical success factors, you know, people that are thinking about this type of career. But tell me about peak performance and some of the things you've learned there and and how important that's been okay and give, give us like the you know the skinny I will I will <laughs> so probably about five years or so ago um, our company brought in another organization to teach us all of these concepts mm -hmm. and um, you know they really focus on emotional intelligence and really focusing on your own self in terms of I would say um, how your mind works mm -hmm. in general and being able to be the master of your own mind and how you tell talk to your own self and why that matters and so um, the focus really is on 
you don't have to stay with the status quo. You can actually change the way you think and the way that you see things through affirmations, positive self-talk, goal settings, um, a lot of different different ways that, that you, you can, can work towards that. And there's a lot of science behind it. It's pretty amazing. Um, just learning how to stop that negative self-talk and instead of saying, wow, you know, I'm really awful at this. Instead, you turn, can turn it into, okay, you know, I, I have not mastered this skill yet. However, you know, I am going to spend this amount of time every week to work on improving myself in these areas. And this is how I can do it. And so breaking up your large goals into smaller goals and celebrating those. And um, a lot of that goes hand in hand, too, I think, with emotional intelligence as well. So yeah. once you kind of master, master yeah. your, own, your own way of thinking and um, really allows you to then move forward and set your own goals personally and professionally in that way. So do you think it's so, so interesting on the positive self-talk? So there's um, and when you talk about the science and like, I think it's like neuro pathways, right? Or it the, is. Or the way that like um, there's this thing. Have you heard of ACEs? And, I, and I'm, I don't know. I forget exactly what it stands for, but it's a program that was <clears throat> initiated out in California and it was a way for doctors to be able to talk with um children and, and like adolescents and youth about their situation that, that had survived trauma in some way. And it was an assessment for, for, for doctors and medical people to be able to help people that were in maybe traumatic situations. And, the, and this ACEs is like a 12, there's like 12 categories of different parts of your development and trauma as we know it, people think of very dramatic degrees of trauma, but the, the study shows that it's not like you can grow up in a very healthy and nurturing environment, but there are certain things that you need developmentally that you don't necessarily get just because we're human and not every human's, per and, and when that happens, something actually happens to your brain and the way that it develops and these neural pathways are created. And so the idea of like positive self-talk or the idea of what you're talking about can actually re- configure or change the way that those things were uh and, and poor god i'm not a medical person right but but the way that they were sort of configured that's the way i can in like layman's terms. yes yeah there's actually a part of your brain called the reticular activating system and yeah. it actually blocks off anything that it doesn't think you want to see so if you keep telling yourself something negative over and over again that part of your brain thinks this is important we're going to focus on it so if you can start to change the way you talk to yourself, mm -hmm. then that portion of your mind starts to focus on the more positive things and find those type of, like identify those types of opportunities for you in your subconscious. It's so if, crazy. If that makes sense. It, it does make sense. And would yeah. you say like, do, are you someone then, like do you, are you daily doing positive affirmations and, and gratitude? Do you journal? Like, you know, we read a lot about like the manifestation of, of positivity and, and seeing, you know, in terms of your own success, like, do you tell me a little bit about, I'm sure it, it, it intersects here to some. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com for more information.
yeah, so I, I have a, plenty of colleagues that do journal, and I don't. Um, I've thought about it, yeah. and then it just hasn't happened. So I try to make it a point every day to just take a few minutes and just focus on what I'm grateful for and, you know, that I'm capable mm-hmm. and confident to do what I'm setting out to do, whether that's with work or maybe being patient with my children or being a good mother or wife. And yeah. so it, it may change situationally. Um, I do have specific like affirmations or mantras mm-hmm. that are on my desk for me to look at every day. They're just kind of on some sticky mm-hmm. notes. And those typically pertain to what my goal is for the year. Um, if there's certain things that I'd like to accomplish in my my sales career, I do actually print those up and keep them on my desk as a daily reminder and a goal to work towards. So, um, how how disciplined are you in terms of the plan that you're executing against? And right, because I, I'm curious how much of it is is um, oh, it's just going to work out because I'm a good relationship person versus you're you have a certain discipline and a methodology that you're following routinely that creates the success it's a little bit of both um you have to be kind of flexible with your plan yeah um taking care of so many hospitals and there's always surprises <laughs> ups and downs yeah. yeah um as it is it's like the 80 20 rule i have um 20 of my hospitals make up over 80 percent of my business and so those are my true main focus mm-hmm. year after year it's very important to always be in front of my customers to like I said, maintain my business, but I have to develop new opportunities and I have to learn what's going on within those hospitals so that I can basically fill that funnel and know where I'm going to bring in new revenue. So that's very, very important. And so I typically am working on a large amount of new opportunities or upgrades Mm -hmm. at the same time, but I tend to focus maybe on um, getting like the top five that are closest to closing or coming to fruition, making sure that I'm focused on moving that forward every single week. While in the background, I'm still working on my other long-term projects that I know are going to take me a lot longer to get done. So it sounds too like you have to, like, I don't know if multitask is the right word, but you're, it's not, how do I describe it? It just sounds like there's a lot of inputs to, to what you do and that you're, almost context shifting all yes. the time throughout your day to to whatever is like the goal of that particular length that you're focused yes. on. Yes. All right. Tell me a little bit about people that are interested in sales and critical success factors from now that you've been in it for so long, you're seeing junior people come in yes. now. And I'm really curious about Maybe we can start here. Like, what are some of the gaps you're seeing, right, in terms of people that want to go in this path and what what you're seeing and, and what could people develop or strengthen before they start their career? Itself? Absolutely. So um, I do think that, um, you know, when you're younger and you're, you're learning or you are making a career change yes. and you want to come into sales. So um, one of the important things, I think, is to find a company that has the culture that you want to work at because mm-hmm. I have done it once who have not um, and to find a product that you believe in and are passionate yeah. about because that actually will really shine through when you talk to your customers and um, makes your job easier. If you don't feel good about what you're there to talk about, 
it makes everything so much harder. Yeah. So um, I think that, you know, really taking the time to dig in and get to know your field, whether it's business, whether it's IT, right. Right. whether it's medical, and you need to get to know your products in and out, your competitors' products, how, for me, it's how does this specific hospital work? Who are the decision makers? How do they interact within in departments with each other? And so really getting to know your customers and your products and your company so that you're knowledgeable and you're an expert in your field. Um, it's it's going to take a lot of hard work the first couple of years as you yeah. try to match up um, everything you're learning and being able to talk about that fluidly. Right. <laughs> like you know what you're talking about. Yes. Right. Yes, and matching up any skills that you are learning as far as um, your soft skills, like mm -hmm. learning how to sell or to collaborate or communicate, like those types of things. It takes takes a couple years to put everything together. Um, what I see of newer people is they're mm -hmm. so excited to get out there and they've learned so much that they don't listen to the customer. They basically do their whole presentation, they don't take a breath, they don't ask any questions, and then they leave feeling really good, um, but unfortunately it just looked like they were pushing their agenda and they didn't ask mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, the, what that customer really needs. And so um, I think you can have short-term success in sales and have a great year and do well and have a lot of bad years if you're not being a value-added partner to yeah. Your customers so I think you know taking a step back taking a breath yeah. and actually listening and once you're able to actively listen um, you start to think of those questions that are important and the more questions you ask and learn more about the situation you start to uncover unmet needs and you can bring in solutions to help them and I think once you once you're actually partnering or seen as a value-added partner, that's where your relationship really gets yeah. brought in and they, um, they'll come back to you year after year or, you know, if there's something going wrong, instead of just kicking you out, they'll bring you in and talk with you about it and, and give you the chance to... It's so interesting, the act of listening. So we're working on something right now where um, we're working with a specific school where we might go in and, and do a lot of our workshops on, on um, communication and public speaking. And so we had um, we had a deck, right, a pit, what we're calling our pitch deck, when we sat down with this person that we were going to talk with. And we spent a lot of time cultivating that deck, right, and knowing the inputs that we have to why we think it's going to be of value. So we sat down with the person, we went like a friendly environment, went to lunch, right? And we're going through, <clears throat> and there was a lot of commentary that was not in the deck that she had that was the point of view of who we're going to be talking to. And so to be open to that and to be open to really hearing, like, I, you know, you have to almost forfeit, not that all your prep. And that discipline of that's important too. You have yes. to be prepared and you have to know what your, your point of view is. You also have to be open enough and use your judgment to say, oh, that's really good. And I didn't think of that. And that yes. takes those, you got to take your ego out of it and really be in that active listening mode, which is, which is hard. Like it if is you hard. put a lot of energy into something and you're like, isn't it pretty? Look what I did. I still, I still yeah. struggle with it yeah. all the time. I try and I interrupt. <laughs> Like, yeah. stop doing that. Yeah. So, yes, it is. It's 
And we talked to you, I think I'm going to like dovetail into the soft skill stuff because we've had great conversations about what you're seeing just in terms of interviewing and people uh, being able to have a conversation and look you in the eye. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing just from candidates and how some of the gaps you're seeing on the soft skill side. Well, I haven't. I've only actually just um, helped interview somebody yesterday. Yeah. And um, she was actually fantastic yeah. at it. Just to be a good fit at a company, you actually do have to be yourself so they can actually see. You both can decide whether it's a good fit together. So, yes, I haven't interviewed as much recently. Yeah. But I do um, help to bring new reps into the field and work with them and, and help and what about public speaking them. in terms of people presenting in front of groups and to your point around getting in front of some of your clients? What are you, what are you seeing with some of those skills? So um, the amazing thing, my one educator, Desiree, yeah. she actually was always nervous and um, would talk too fast. And she went to um, Toastmasters. Yeah. And she worked really hard. And it's amazing now to see her poise and how she's become so comfortable and takes a breath instead of... Instead of getting getting worked up, yeah. Um. So she's been somebody who's been wonderful to watch. Um. I, on the other hand, I do really well like presenting to my customers mm -hmm. or maybe to my specific team. But then when it gets into a larger setting of my peers, maybe at a sales meeting, that's when I get quite nervous and um have to take a breath. <laughs> What do you do to manage your anxiety or to, like, if you start to get nervous, how, what are some of the things that you do? I really, it's, it's really more, you know, just deep like, breaths yeah. and, you know, try to calm myself down. I also, like, probably obsessively go over every single word I'm going to say. You're big preparer. people. Yes. <laughs> yes. I gave yeah. a presentation in February and I had even more notes than I did here. <laughs> And I practiced out loud yeah. by myself at home. Yes. So. I feel like preparation is so, like when it, when it comes to public speaking, we, we teach a lot of workshops with that. And I think the preparation piece of you feeling comfortable with the content is almost sec like that once you have that down, then you can handle whatever comes your way on the day. But it should feel so routine and comfortable that it's then not even on your mind in terms of like, oh, I have to find the right word. Or do I even really know what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah. yes, because you don't want to sound like you're reading from a script. And if For I sure. don't prepare, that's exactly yeah. what I sound like. <laughs> so, uh, Okay, so just a couple more. What What about, like, from your perspective on the soft skills side, do you see are critical in, in – I mean, we've talked about some of them, I think, already, but I'm curious if you had to pick two in the role of sales or in the career that you've had. What do you think are the ones that are most important? So, basically, I think in sales – Soft skills are everything. It is yeah. It is key to being successful. I really think, and I think I've probably thrown these words out, but yeah. being collaborative yeah. is so important. Um, being able to have a relationship and listen with your customers is key. I think um, making, allowing them to be your priority and, and not your own goals. Mm -hmm. And also, though, you know, as I've gotten more advanced in this career, realizing that they have a responsibility to me as well to fulfill their portion of their commitment. So once I, once they commit to working with me and I'm, I'm working for them, I, I do need follow-up and help from them as well. So that's actual collaboration instead of just... Like one-directional. One-directional, yes. Yeah. So I think that that's 
really important. Um, and then communication, and that could be all types of things. That could be, like you said, your public speaking, um, having a concise, informative email yes. that um, yeah. actually provides the information that you promised yeah. and doesn't ask too many questions. That's, mm-hmm. that's important that you, you really think through, through that. Um, having open communication in the good and the bad, like I mentioned. So, you know, I have a product that is really important for patients who are sick. So if it's going to go on back order, I can't leave my customers hanging out there. I, I can't allow them to be surprised. So I need to be proactive and forthcoming and just say, hey, you know, we have to work on something in advance to make sure that you all are taken care of. So um, I was answering the phone, but then having these nice back and forth conversations. So I think, yeah. you know, there's so many ways that communication is really important and even if you have a customer that's continually using their product, just checking in with them every couple months, seeing what initiatives they have coming up and how you can support them. It's just important to always be top of mind. So, <laughs> All right. And then just on the art of no, like people, you getting no or or trying to turn that. I mean, I know that's probably a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the question I would have is how do you – how do you bounce back from that? Maybe that's the just in terms of if you are like you were earlier in your career and it was so harsh. What is it that you do to 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 stay the course or to bounce back from that and not take it personally? Right. That's hard. That's what I was going to say. So it takes it's, a long time for you to decide that it's it's not personal against you mm-hmm. for you to be able to see it as a business decision. Yeah. Um, and that's why it is so important in sales to have a large amount of things going on at one time at one time mm-hmm. and trying to balance some different different projects so that if you lose one, you have others going on. <laughs> yeah. um, it's backups. It is. <laughs> in my field, there's some things that, you know, there's a few of my products that I may spend like two years in the sales cycle to try to come to wow. fruition. And so while I'm working on those long terms, I have to have a bunch of smaller things, say maybe an upgrade of a current mm-hmm. product so that I can continue to make my number, get a paycheck, yeah. and succeed in the business. But it's those those big projects that when um, when you don't get those, those are the ones that are, are really hard. And so there have been times that I've been disappointed definitely and disappointed in myself and the situation and um you know just talking to your mentors and and allowing them to bribe bribe you with feedback for the next time um sometimes I go back and look at what I've accomplished over the years and I say hey wait I've done all this I did this and I am capable of continuing to do that and so you know just trying to let it go yeah and there's also certain situations that you may see it happening that maybe your customers do not. And so you also have to know when to let go of those yeah. Um, yeah. and refocus somewhere else. So there's something about athletes that I love, like really good competitive athletes that have anamnesia where it's they're just able to leave that point behind, leave the loss behind, whatever, you know, and just in that clean slate start over, like you get another opportunity tomorrow. And sometimes when I'm in that headspace, I just try to, you know, this was now, this was today, this is not a life sentence. Like just, it's the start, it's the reset, it's reset, reset. And you just yes. kind of get yourself into that, that mindset. Okay. Last question is, um, 
just about as you think about your career and and really how you've evolved and matured and you think about um, maybe, you know, the the copier <laughs> first yourself, <laughs> but just what what advice, right, when you think back in terms of just, and whether it's personal, it doesn't all have to be professional, like in terms of, you know, you have a young daughter, right, that's, that's, um, that's a junior or sophomore, sophomore but yeah, she will be a junior. junior. Yeah. Um, I was thinking because I have all boys and I don't necessarily think of it the same way, but, but maybe it's easier because you have a daughter, but what advice, right, do, do, would you give yourself that's like to make the path a little bit easier or to help mitigate some of that pain and anguish? Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always very encouraging of other people, but not always so much for myself. So I think, you know, I wish I could go back and tell myself, you're capable, yeah. you all you need to do is be persistent and work hard and this will pay off in the end and just allow myself to be my own cheerleader. And um, I try to instill that with my kids, as yeah. you were saying, just you're capable of anything. You just have to work work hard at it and there will be setbacks, but that's how you learn. And um, one of the quotes that was popping around our meetings this yes. year was no challenge, no change. So you could stay yeah. the status quo or you can push yourself and be uncomfortable. Yeah. And then see growth and success. Yeah. So I love that. And I think that's that kind voice. Not the like you can sit on the couch and eat whatever you want. Because <laughs> yes. that yes. voice often wins out for me. <laughs> me too. It's the it's the kind like you've got this, you're capable, you know, not letting every what you would consider to be a failure define. I mean, that that's so, it's so easy to say. It and is. Even as adults, like, hard to do. So I, I love that. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was fantastic. So it was, like, went by so fast. I feel like we just, like, no, you didn't. at all. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here, Michelle. And we'll see you next time on Thank the you, Teresa. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us. Appreciate your insight uh, on the importance of active listening collaboration and being consultative with clients. Also really important to have that positive self-talk, especially in the face of rejection and and all of those no's and challenges. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. Uh, A big thank you to our Relatable community for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube Uh, or on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. You can find out more about our sponsor at www.tfasoftskills.com. And until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.